Hey, hey, beer fans. Welcome to Experimental Brewing with Denny and Drew. I'm Denny Kahn. And I'm Drew Beecham. Together, we're the authors of Experimental Homebrewing, Mad Science in the Pursuit of Great Beer, and Simple Homebrewing, available at all your finest retailers. Now, between the two of us, we have over 40 years of homebrewing experience. I'm the guy known for weird beer and strange ideas. And I'm the guy who's known for questioning the conventional wisdom and checking things out. Which we'll talk about a little bit later in the episode. Yep. But speaking of which, on today's episode, we're going to go to the pub to cover some of the beer news that's happened while we've been gone. We're going to stop in at the brewery and talk about some things happening both outside of our breweries and what we've been doing inside of our own brewery. Before we sit down and we listen well to a repeat guest on the show, Mr. Ray Ricky Rivera, who is coming on to talk about... Well, really, how to start a brewery without starting a brewery, if that makes sense. And who has one of the coolest names that I've ever heard. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> but before we can hear about any of that stuff, please listen to these messages from the people who make this show possible. This episode of the Experimental Brewing Podcast is brought to you by you, our listeners. Go to experimentalbrew.com to help support us. Click on the Patreon link to donate whatever amount you like to the podcast and our charities. Click on the Brew Your Own Magazine link to subscribe to BYO. Or click on the AHA link to join the American Homebrewers Association. Part of the proceeds from those will go to help support the podcast. And thanks for your support. When I'm done brewing, I want to be done brewing, not waiting around for my work to cool. With the Hydra, the Corny Pillar, and the other great chillers from Jaded, I can be done when I'm done. No more waiting 20 minutes for the work to cool enough to add Whirlpool hops. No more messing with cleaning and sanitizing counterflow or plate chillers. With the super fast immersion chillers from Jaded, you can chill your word in minutes without all the hassle. Jaded chillers aren't just works of art, they're the fastest, most effective chillers you can buy. Check them out at jadedbrewing.com. Welcome back, everybody. We're going to start off, as always, with some announcements. Uh, last last week, we would have seen two episodes of The Brew Files come out, one brand new and one a replay. But the brand new episode was with Bob Sylvester, where we talk about what exactly makes a farmhouse ale a farmhouse and not a saison, and really how to make a beer that is farmhousey without being bretty. So go give that a listen. Yeah, if anybody's going to be able to talk authoritatively about that, it's Bob. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Bob. Also, we just got done speaking at the Women's International Beer Summit. Uh, why they wanted us, I have no idea. But we talked uh, about uh, running a podcast with Tyler Sadler and Laurieann Gutierrez of the Brewed Up Podcast. So uh, you can get online, you can listen to that, you can listen to all the other sessions from the Women's International Beer Summit. And the uh, web address is wcfa.beer. So take a listen. Absolutely. It was a good time. We should always uh, talk more about beer. <laughs> or, or podcasting. Either one. Go, yeah. go, go and find out what, what the hell we actually talked about, people. 
now, of course, the other thing that's coming up is the AHA HomebrewCon. It's back. It's in charge. It's in Pittsburgh. It's right by the confluence of three rivers. And Denny and I will be speaking. Good Lord, help us all. <laughs> yeah, really. The, the AHA HomebrewCon is going to run from June 23rd to 25th, like I said, in Pittsburgh. And yes, Denny and I are going to be speaking. We're going to be giving a talk about using modern hop science to make a better West Coast IPA. And because uh, we're idiots, we also have a couple guys from uh, Yakima Chief Hops that are going to be uh, talking about it with us. Yep. So if you want to see that talk or the many, many, many other talks, or just go have a whole bunch of homebrew and spend a couple of days with people who aren't going to glaze over when you're talking about OGFG, IBU, SRM, and Degrees Lintner, then I suggest you go to homebrewcon.org and go sign up for the HomebrewCon. And the annual American Homebrewers Association Big Brew is coming up on May 7th. The idea being to get as many people brewing that day as we possibly can from all over the world. There are a couple official recipes that you can use. You can find them at homebrewersassociation.org or just brew whatever you want to brew. The idea is get out there on May 7th and brew something and uh, become part of the big homebrewing community worldwide. Yes, how many gallons can we brew this year? And don't forget the... <laughs> collectively, collectively, that's not each one of us. Well, that's true. But also, how many gallons of beer can you brew this year? <laughs> no, don't, forget, don't forget, you can support the podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can click the HA and BOIO links on the website. And by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which for this part of the year is... It is Canines for Warriors, a great organization that uh, takes rescue dogs and trains them to be companions for uh, veterans who have uh, PTSD, who have emotional problems, who have physical problems. I mean, you know... That's good stuff, people. So go to our website, experimentalbrew.com, click on the Patreon button, throw us a few bucks, and we will pass it along to Canines for Warriors. Indeed. And now, it's time for a beer. Yes, I like the way we got there quicker than usual this week. It happens. (laughs) Yeah, it does. We're going to head over to the pub and talk about some beers and the beer life, so stick around and we'll see you there in a minute. Yakima Chief Hops is a proud supporter of the global homebrewing community. We believe that homebrewers are at the true heart of craft beer. YCH is dedicated to supplying the brewing hobbyists, the homebrew side hustlers, and the late-night garage brewers with the same cutting-edge quality hop products as the brewers working on a 90-barrel tank. Yakima Chief is pleased to introduce the latest product in hop innovation right out of the R&D lab, Cryopop Original Blend. Combining their proprietary cryogenic hop processing technology with groundbreaking lab analysis, they've engineered a hop pellet packed with the most beer-soluble compounds to bring a true pop of tropical, stone fruit, and citrus aromas. Learn more at yakimachief.com. The Brew Deck Podcast features exclusive interviews with your favorite brewers and suppliers. Each episode highlights new trends and brewing tips from leaders in the industry to inspire your next brew. Listen to the Brew Deck Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts.
Welcome back, everybody. We are sitting here in the Experimental Brewing Pub at the corner of everywhere and nowhere, somewhere in cyberspace, and we're having a couple beers. What are you drinking today, Drew? I'm drinking a beer that, you know, I haven't had this style in all of the 78 happy hours that my club has done, you know, during this whole COVID time. We've never had this style, and I'm kind of surprised. I'm drinking Ulick Schwartzbeer from Upshift Brewing in El Segundo, California. And literally, in all this time, after 250 beers or whatever it is, we've never had a Schwartzbeer. They're not real common, I have to admit, you know? I know, but like in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, like, shouldn't we have had everything by now? <laughs> <laughs> and I like a good Schwartzbeer. Yeah, so, I do too. It's a great style. Yeah, and so the Ulick, and that means, I think, oil leak or oil spill in uh, German. Uh, Ulick from Upshift. Upshift has everything's kind of automotive theme, right? Uh, Steven Torres, who is the brewmaster there now, formerly a brewmaster at Taps and at Golden Road, really knows what he's doing behind the brew kettle. And he just made a Schwartz beer that is rich but dry, dark but not bitter, like acrid bitter. And it just does everything that you want a Schwartz beer to do. So that is. Ulick Schwartzbier from Upshift Brewing in El Segundo, California. And you, sir? I uh, am having an Ale Song Coco Maestro. Uh, we've had a whole bunch of cold and even snowy weather here recently. So I figured it was time to go look through the stash and break out something for a cold, snowy afternoon. This is a barley wine aged in bourbon barrels and then has uh, a little bit of cocoa nib added to it uh, for the aging. What really struck me about this beer was how subtle the cocoa flavor was. I mean, this was not a beer that was screaming chocolate at you. It was a, a blended, integrated flavor. And I know that I always talk about the guys at Ale Song being masters of subtlety with their beers. And this is just another great, great example of that. Uh, you know, so often you find people who try to use flavorings in beers and hit you over the head and... Uh, not not these guys. It, it's always well integrated, and it was thirteen percent too. So it took me a while to get through it. It was a good snowy afternoon beer. I was gonna say that's a good chair beer. Yeah, exactly. That's what it was. Now, Sit on the couch, watch old episodes of this old house. I dare one of our listeners to go back through and do a tally because I want to know exactly how many ale song beers you've had during this segment. Oh man, lots, <laughs> lots. You know. Um, I've often said, you know, because of where I live, I don't get out and uh, into bars a lot to try a lot of different things. But uh, I have a large collection of Ale Song beers here, so that's just kind of what I turn to. There we go. Nothing wrong with it. Ale Song is a nope. fantastic brewery. Sure right. are. So now it's time to get into the news because we've got a couple of stories to cover. And this one just literally hit the, the news as we're getting ready to record this because it just kind of makes me go, huh. Uh, as you guys know, housing prices have gone way up, you know, including renting. So it's kind of a problem if you're not necessarily in a city and there's not a lot of opportunities and you need places for your employees to stay. So this I thought was rather innovative. Shorts Brewing up there in the UP, they went and bought an inn that was for sale to use for employee housing. <laughs> I mean, that is so cool. Well, I mean, it, it's it's. Really interesting because it's a little bit of a throwback back to like, you know, 
you know, back the company town type of days. But this is up in Antrim County in Michigan, and it says here in the article that businesses are trying to fill open positions for the tourist season that's coming up, but there's a shortage of available affordable housing. And so Shorts said, that, okay, hey, look, we need to hire 20 additional staff, and they bought a 26-unit inn called the Bel Air Inn and decided to go with it and update the units into kind of like short-term housing. Um and of course, you can't help but make a reference to Schitt's Creek about all this sort of stuff. And um, the, the the owner did say, or sorry, the CEO Scott Newman Bale uh, had said, when the opportunity came for us to create our own version of the Rosebud Motel from Schitt's Creek, we couldn't pass it up. If Johnny Rose can do it, we can too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I've never seen that show, but I'll take your word for it. Oh, you should totally see that show. It's fantastic. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. I've read about it, and it just doesn't seem like me. Uh, trust me, make it through the first season, and you'll love it. Um, but <laughs> it, it turns out they're not. The whole motel isn't just becoming worker space because they're still actually going to continue to operate part of it as a traditional motel. So, if you want to go be an, an innkeeper up in Antrim County, Michigan, uh, you might be able to work for Shorts. Wow, that's pretty cool. <laughs> I did. I just I saw it, and I was like. Okay, there you go. Now, you remember in the last episode, we had asked about, hey, April Fool's jokes that you guys saw, and it seems like a, not a lot of traffic on the April Fool's uh, segment, but there was one that dropped that at first I thought was actually an April Fool's joke, and it turns out, no, not really. Really, <laughs> kind of should be. And that was that on April 7th, Miller Lite put out an advertisement saying that they would... Uh, uh, their their copy said, no one should celebrate National Beer Day without great taste. Miller Lite beer drops are the easiest way to bring more beer taste to those who drink other light beer. And they put them on sale. They sold out. I, I don't think I normally associate Miller Lite with the idea of beer flavor. <laughs> well, you know what? They said if you're drinking other light beer... So I guess it's to make beer that has no flavor taste like Miller flavor, whatever. Uh, obviously, they're not something you want to put in a stout, huh? I mean, at that point in time, you might as well just add some more water to your stout. It's just a very weird thing. But I mean, this is, by the way, not the first time that we've seen, you know, sort of beer flavorings. There have been a number of different companies that have come out there with sort of various different beer drop things. But usually the market is focused on the idea of, Hey, I'm stuck at the stadium where domestic light beer costs 18 bucks for a cup, and it tastes like domestic light beer, and I want something hoppier. Here's a little thing I can squeeze into the beer. Um, way back in the day before anybody started to market it, there were people who used to carry little jars of hop oils to do the same thing. Um, but this is the first time I've ever seen a big company that makes a light beer go, Hey, you want to make your other light beer taste like our light beer? So... <laughs> It doesn't appear to be for sale anymore. Miller Lite has said that the product is sold out. We'll just have to go see if it comes back, if you care. But it did just kind of make me. It did just kind of make me cock an eyebrow and go. Bruh, bruh. <laughs> yeah, man, I, I, I'm just speechless. Yep. All right. Well, and this next story takes place in your neck of the woods. Uh yeah, Laurelwood Brewing up in Portland. Great little brewery. Uh, they make some really, really good beers, and they were. Uh, Owned by Ninkasi as part of a deal that Ninkasi made with, uh, oh, who was it? Legacy Breweries. 
Ah, yes, that's what it was. And uh, Ninkasi got themselves out of that, but apparently they still owned Laurelwood, or they, I guess maybe even they were brewing for Laurelwood. Mm-hmm. And Laurelwood finally decided that they were going to take control of themselves again and bought themselves back from Ninkasi. So all of this conglomeration that happened over the last couple of years has kind of all fallen apart now. Well, and this is interesting because, okay, you had Ninkasi do this. Now you've had Laurelwood pull away from Ninkasi. And Ninkasi had said they were going to continue brewing until April for Laurelwood. Um, and then also, don't forget, last year we had three weavers buy themselves back from Canarchy. So it's interesting to see some of this deconglomeration. Um, and I wonder if some of that is because the advantages that were supposed to come from conglomeration aren't quite there or these brands aren't perceiving it, or the founders aren't perceiving it, or if it's just one of those things where it's like, you know what, I liked it better when I owned the damn thing. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, I'm sure that some of these people did this because they needed the capital for expansion and stuff, but maybe they discovered that uh, it wasn't the right time to expand. Yep. And so Laurelwood is contracting with another company, uh, uh, Barrett Beverage, uh, which is a literally a contract brewer. And that's all they do is they, they do uh, production for other people. And that's how they're kind of going back to, to their roots. So we'll, we'll see. Uh, they, they still have what, uh, uh, one pub, right? Like on, uh, and they're going to continue doing that as well. So interesting to see it kind of turn more local. Also kind of interesting to see that this is, comes at the same time that, uh, Laurelwood is partnering with, uh, Portland Thorns. Uh, which is the women's national uh, soccer team in Portland. And so they're going to be an official craft beer sponsor alongside of uh, Pelican and Breakside for the Thorns. Cool. Yeah. So kind of very interesting to see that, like, pulling back, becoming uh, becoming local again, and really refocusing on being a smaller brand. Yeah, well, and... There's nothing wrong with that, is there? I mean, I guess maybe if you're a business and you're into the idea of perpetual growth being the only way you can survive, then there is. But uh, I don't know, man. I'm, it doesn't bother me that they're small and local again. Nope, me either. And speaking of small and local, wait, no, that doesn't make any sense as a segue. <laughs> <laughs> Our good friend John Hall of the Steal This Beer podcast and who we've had on here uh, many times before. And, of course, a longtime beer writer has just launched a cookbook that is available as a publication called the Craft Brewery Cookbook Recipes to Pair with Your Favorite Beers. And it's got 70-some-odd recipes in there, and they're either from various craft brewing interests out there, like there was one that was listed for air-fried chicken wings with honey barbecue sauce. Now, Yum. that sounds like a beer snack. Yeah. And so they're either coming from breweries or they're coming from John and he not only gives the recipes, but also beer pairing recommendations and all that sort of good stuff. It looks like a really tasty book included a couple of dishes that I've never heard of before, like using ingredients I've never heard of before. And that's saying something. Um, so you can go out there and you can go get a copy of that and go support John. After all, you have to support your local beer author. And that is the craft brewery cookbook recipes to pair with your favorite beers. I think we're going to have to have John on again to talk about that, huh? Mm, only if he brings snacks. <laughs> Good idea. We'll, we'll uh, kind of like bribe him. <laughs> there we go. All right. 
I think we need to wrap these up, and we need to go talk about some stuff we've been brewing. All right. We're going to take a quick break here, and when we come back, we'll be over in the brewery talking about what we've been doing. This episode is brought to you by the American Homebrewers Association. Get ready. Saturday, May 7th, is the American Homebrewers Association 25th Big Brew for National Homebrew Day. Visit homebrewersassociation.org slash experimental to download the official recipes, the Community American Lager, and Dark Inception Imperial Porter. Find a homebrew supply shop and dust off your homebrewing skills with how-to videos. Plus, you'll get a promo code for $5 off an annual American Homebrewers Association membership when you make the Big Brew Pledge. That's homebrewersassociation.org slash experimental to get $5 off when you make the Big Brew Pledge by May 9th, 2022. Longer days and brighter skies inspire Y-East Laboratories' spring release. Get ready for your next brew day with the flexibility of our Longer Days private collection. 1217 West Coast IPA calls for a fruity edition of grapefruit, mango, or kumquat. Go a step further by kettle souring first, then pitching this neutral, easy-to-use strain. 3191 Berliner Weiss Blend is ready to break tradition with a variety of fruit and herb flavors to complement its bread and lacto character. Strawberry and rhubarb, pineapple and mango, or mixed berries will bring bright flavors and color to your goza or wild specialty ale. Balance out your creativity with one of our favorite styles, a classic Kolsch using 2575 Kolsch 2. This versatile strain is favored among professional and homebrewers alike in any season and will be your go-to for its rich flavor and soft malt finish. Visit our brand new website at whyeastlab.com for more inspiration, tips, and recipes to pair with these strains. Yeah, hey, so welcome to the brewery. It's time to talk about the things that we've been playing around with because uh, it's my busy season. But before we get into that, let's talk about one thing that has launched just as we're talking. And that is, uh, again, it's on this hot hot topic of files. Uh, so you remember a couple weeks back, we had Berkeley Brewing, or you remember a couple weeks back, we had Berkeley Yeast on the podcast to talk about their thiol-freeing uh, yeast strains that they have, their whole Tropic series. Uh, well, and they had said, oh, you know, we got a Tropics that does Chico, right? Well, Omega, which had launched their own thial uh, line a little bit ago, or their own thial yeast, I should say, has launched a brand new uh, thialized strain of that's their version of Chico that they're calling Star Party. And it says here, Star Party Ale is a thial burst with aromas of passion fruit, dank pink guava, and citrus zest. So this is another one of those uh, GMO type yeasts that's all there about trying to free up those bound thiols 
And again, you can learn more of that by going to the episode in the brew files with Berkeley yeast. But it's interesting that they claim that with this strain, they're getting over a thousand times output of thiols, or actually, sorry, over 200 times the output of thiols uh, to, to just using the strain with the same base constraints. So very interesting to see here. Again, this is going to be one of those things. That now you've got Omega's Cosmic Punch and Star Party uh, as ways to actually be able to you know go do this. And now again, because this is a Chico strain, it's not really going to be that biotransformational. So it really is about trying to make a big, bursty, fruity West Coast IPA or clear IPA. Yeah, that, and it's very interesting. You know, uh, thiols seem to be the new buzzword these days, don't they? They do, and it's it's very curious. So they are they started with a uh, they said they started with a bacterial uh, beta amylase or beta amylase, and it's called Pat B, and they figured out how to basically to insert that into the uh, into the Chico strain using CRISPR, right? And CRISPR is kind of the the hot cool gene editing technology that is probably going to cause a lot of fun things to happen. So very interesting to see this again. Now these are both available to home brewers, so get out there and go make some thialized beers. <laughs> yeah, well, assuming that that works for you. Well, yeah, exactly. Uh, but again, this plays into the idea that I've been talking about, where we're starting to see more and more of these sort of fruit-forward clear IPAs uh, that kind of lay in between that West Coast and New England idea. So just more tools for that party. All right. Now, as I alluded to when we started talking in this segment... This is my busy season. Now, what do you mean by that, Drew? Well, I mean that it's my time of year when I've got to make the most beer that I can because I've got parties coming up. That's right. You guys remember parties? Like when we used to go to festivals? We used to hang out around other people? They're back. Um, and so actually next weekend, as I'm, as we're recording this, is the so- Southern California Homebrewers Festival, which has been going on since the early 90s. Hasn't been going on for the past year or two, uh, but it's back. It's in full business. And in order to help out my homebrew club, I have been brewing a bunch of beer. So in the past, you've already heard me talk about the fact that I made a Belgian pale ale. And that was the reason why we had that Belgian pale ale episode with Tommy Arthur. Yes, I'm not adverse to stooping low and gathering information. Um, my corn malt gin and cream ale, that will make its premiere there at that party. And then in the last week or so, I've made three new beers. I made a Saison. I know, shocker. But remember I had said before that I ran out of Pilsner malt, so that's the one I made with the Hannah malt and using that new uh, non-diastatic uh, farmhouse yeast from Lalamon. And then two other beers that I haven't talked about, which was one a new spin on kind of my classic mild. You guys know I'm a big fan of mild. And this time in, I actually went and I took advantage of some of those uh, crisp malts again, and I used Chevalier. So I'm going to be really curious to see how that ferments out because the Chevalier has such a strong malt presence, at least in the tastings that I've done, that I'll be really curious to see if it gives that, that mild a real nice backbone, right? Something good and rich to, to lay 3.8% alcohol on. Yeah. You know, I haven't used yeah. that one yet, but I, I have used the Plumage Archer, and I just love that one. Yep. Well, and that one also includes some oat malt because it's me, and roasted barley slash graffa in order to get the color. And also for everybody out there who's you know obsessing over hops, like we were just talking about the thialized yeast strain, 
this recipe uses the tiniest amount of hops I ever use in a recipe. One Whoa. quarter ounce. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, buddy. Um, and I also decided to try a new strain, to me at least, which was the uh, Verdant IPA strain. And I know. Why are you making a mild with an IPA strain? Because uh, dirty little secret, it's an English strain. It's not oh, just an IPA right. strain. Uh, <laughs> so I'm making it with the Verdant IPA, and I may harvest that to make an IPA later with, uh, just to stay on point. And speaking of IPAs, and speaking of that whole newest West Coast IPA idea, this is where I played with the Plumage Archer. So I made a West Coast IPA with Plumage Archer, uh, a couple of other little character malts in it, not much. Uh, and then the bittering, I used Warrior, because that's me. And then everything else in it is loaded with Idaho 7, Talus, and Mosaic. And the real trick about this one is I've got to turn this around in 10 days. <laughs> Good luck Whee! on that, buddy. Oh, well, you know me. Yeah. I'm going to do it anyway. And besides, if it turns out that's hazy, I'll just call it hazy. <laughs> or, or leave it home till it clears up. Yeah, well, And I'm using one of your favorite strains. I'm using that... Uh, BRY97. Oh, cool. Which, again, every time I say it, I can't help but want to say BR459. I know, man. Me too. Uh, that's a joke for very old people. That's Yeah, right. All right. And what about you, buddy? Um, you know, I uh, guess I talked before about how I cranked out a batch of my classic rye IPA for my 24th anniversary, 588th batch. Um, and uh, that's done now, and I'm drinking it. And for this one, being that it was an anniversary, kind of a special one, I went back to the original recipe uh, for the last few years or more. When I brewed, I kind of like had dropped out the carapils and wheat. A uh, half pound of each one went into it on the theory that if I was writing that recipe today, I would probably just leave those out and not use them. and They really didn't make any difference. I'm here to tell you they make a difference. Uh, the mouthfeel of this beer is just stunning, and it reminds me of the mouthfeel that I used to get from it. And I, I think that maybe I could even make a case for that they make a bit of a flavor contribution, too. But, uh, you know, this, to me, just says that uh, once you hit a recipe you like, don't screw it up. Just keep brewing it. Or you just beat me and keep changing things because you want to learn something else. <laughs> well, that you know, that's what I thought that I was doing. And what I learned was that recipe was fine the way that it was and that there's no reason to change anything in it. Well, see, now what you got to do, though, in order to be true to the the world of what we live in, you got to brew it both ways and try them side by side. I mean, it's yeah. not like you, I mean, it's not like you don't go through plenty of rye IPA. Well, that, that's true, but uh, we'll see. Uh, you know, I've pretty much decided that I like it better with, so I'm not sure that I'm going to waste my time brewing it without again. Oh, you. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey. anyway, that's what we've been brewing. Uh, tell us what you've been brewing, particularly if you've hit on any new ideas or if you played around with any of these thialized yeast. Good Lord, that's hard to say. Uh, thialized. Thialized. There we go. Uh, but just let us know if you've been playing around with any of those and, and tell us what else you're brewing and why you're brewing. I know some of you out there have to be preparing to brew for HomebrewCon because, yeah. look, I'm expecting to drink some of your beer, damn it. Make me something <laughs> or good. Ju or just brewing for summer, you know? It's almost time for that, too. Oh, summer. <laughs> yeah, let's not think about that. 
We're going to uh, take a quick break here. We're going to head over to the lounge, and when we come back, you can hear Drew talking to Ray Ricky Rivera about uh, an, kind of an alternate way to start a brewery. Getting accurate measurements of your beer is one of the keys to improving your brewing. The Pro Series Hydrometers from Brewing America will help you help your beer. These American-made NIST traceable hydrometers are accurate, easy to read, and the kits come with a cleaning brush and cloth and a borosilicate test flask that uses half the sample size of most flasks. That means less beer for testing and more beer for you. Brewing America is a small, family-owned business of husband and wife veterans, so when you buy a Brewing America hydrometer, you're not only getting a great piece of equipment, you're supporting the people who support America. Brewing America hydrometers are available on Amazon or at www.brewingamerica.com. The ultimate all-in-one electric home brewing system is here. The new Grainfather G40 can produce up to 11 gallons of beer and features all the latest advancements in home brewing technology, including wireless control so you can monitor your brew day from the Grainfather app. With an innovative new grain basket design that improves wort flow, reaching mash efficiencies of 75% or more is easy. The 3300-watt heating element brings your wort to a boil quickly without any scorching, and the large hop plate filter guarantees that no unwanted grain matter or hop tube reaches your fermenter. Every G40 comes standard with a high-powered built-in pump that can handle temperatures over 200 degrees Fahrenheit and a full three-year warranty that guarantees that you will be able to keep on brewing no matter what. The new Grandfather G40 is available now at your favorite homebrew retailer or online at grandfather.com. Welcome to the lounge. We're sitting here taking it easy, and uh, Drew's going to tell you about this interview that he did. Right. Okay, so if you look way back in history, and we mentioned it in the interview, we did an interview with Ray Ricky Rivera when he was the president of the SoCal Cerveceros, right? And the Cerveceros being LA's first Latino homebrew club, or Latino-focused homebrew club. Um, and since then, Ray has gone on to do a great many things. He's always had in the back of his mind to go launch a brewery, uh, particularly one, uh, you know, Norwalk Brew House, right? Let's go, let's go Norwalk. But as we know, launching a brewery takes money, like serious money. Even if you're on a shoestring budget, that shoestring budget is a pretty big budget. And so Ray's been trying to figure out, okay, what can I do in order to get this thing launched? And he's hit upon a different way of doing it using contract brewing, which we know is usually a dirty word. But he's actually really taking a whole different approach to how he does it to focus on building his brand, getting people interested in his beer, and still pursuing the idea of the brewery, while also providing a service to his fellow Latino brewers in the area and helping lift other voices up as well. So 
sit back and listen to my discussion with Ray about what exactly he's doing to get Norwalk Brewhouse on the on the way up and to bring others with him. Yeah, sounds like you've been uh, you've been busy uh, a little bit <laughs> since we've talked. I've I've been absolutely amazed. I mean, not only you know have the Seven Sarah's gotten a good name out there and gotten a lot of attention, but also just like looking around now and like seeing the number of members who have gone on to actually start up a brewery. Yeah, it's um from from my point of view, it's been really awesome to see. Given that I've I've one of the few who've been there since the beginning, since day one, since we were just like seven guys hanging out in 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 a garage just talking about homebrew. Um, at that time, you know, we were, there was a few of us like sharing, you know, like, oh yeah, one day I want to open up a brewery. And at the time there was nobody who owned a brewery from the, the group. And now it's like, there's several and it's, um, yeah, it's, it's a crazy thing to see from, from my point of view. All right. Well, here, why don't we go ahead and, uh, just introduce yourself, man. Remind everybody who you are. My name is Ray Ricky Rivera. I'm one of the founding members of the SoCal Cerveceros Homebrew Club, and I'm also uh, the founder of Norwalk Brew House. I was going to say you've been you've been working towards that for a while now. I, I have, I have. I, I don't necessarily know that I was working toward the business model that I'm actually in right now, which is contract brewing. Um, you know, uh, previously I had this grand idea that I was going to open up my own brewery uh and then that kind of morphed into wanting to do a brew pub which is still the case um but as you know the uh being in the brewing business is very costly and so uh i found my way into the industry via contract brewing so that's what i'm doing now but yes it's it's been a few years in the making for sure well okay and so that's actually part of the reason why i wanted to have you on the program I mean, not only to talk about like you know, reflect at least on the Seveseros success and, you know, the number of members who have now gone on to open up breweries here in LA, but also to talk, cause you are tackling it from a different point of view. You're, you're starting with contract brewing, which I know traditionally gets sort of a bad rap amongst, you know, beer aficionados. Sure. People are, well, you don't own the equipment. What are you doing, man? <laughs> right, right. Is it really beer? So, but you've literally just launched the the first beer, right? And, yes. And the first beer under your own name, although you've actually been doing a bunch of collaborations as well previously. Yeah, I think um, I have be somewhere between like six and nine, maybe ten um, beer projects that I've done previous to actually releasing my own beer. So, yeah, um, that really happened last year. Uh, actually 2020, I, I, I did a couple things and then 2021, there were several and, um, that was all kind of leading up to me putting out my own beer. Well, and I think I'm guessing it gave you some experience in working with remote breweries or, you know, not necessarily being behind the brew kettles yourself, right? Yes. Yes. Um, and actually, you know, doing beers with other breweries kind of gave me a really good insight to the fact that I don't necessarily need to be physically brewing the beer, you know, um, which is something that I'm really, uh, that is something that I really like because <laughs> actually, you know, 
when I started homebrewing, like homebrewing is really fun for me. I, I definitely enjoy that process. I love being, you know, I, I love thinking of a recipe, putting it together, going through the process, making the beer and then sharing the beer. That has always been something very fun for me to do. I, I never dreamed of being that master brewer that was doing the work day in, day out, like running a, a brew house myself, like building my own brewery and then being the main brewer. I, though, that was never my dream. That's never been my dream. I just don't see myself doing that. So I've always had this idea, like when I do get to the point where I'm in a position to produce my own liquid, I'm going to bring in somebody who's way more talented than I am, who actually, you know, is, uh, better at brewing beer and that can do the job right. Um, so contract brewing is really great in that I don't have to be the one to physically brew the beer. And I, I know there's some brewers out there that are like, what, you're not making your own beer. Like you're not there, uh, stirring the mash. You're not doing your own transferring. What the, that's not cool. You know, but, um, that's not me. Like <laughs> if, if, if I'm homebrewing, yes, I'm doing my own, uh, mash in mash rest. You know, I'm doing my own, I, I'm adding the hops and doing all that stuff for sure. But on a commercial level, I want to leave that to the super pros who really know how to dial, dial in the process. Well, I just want to say congratulations on actually thinking it through and doing what I think is the right thing. Cause I'm amazed at the number of homebrewers who, with either no or very little professional brewing experience, decide that, why well, yes, I am going to be the person who handles ten gallon or ten barrels of beer. I'm going to do this mash. Um, and it turns out it's it's a different set of skills than what home brewers are used to. Yes, and you know that's one thing that I heard over and over when I asked questions to people that I knew that had their own breweries or head brewers that was the thing that kept coming up. It's like, man, when you scale up from your little five, 10 gallon homebrew batches to 10 barrels, 15 barrels, it's a whole different ball game. Like you don't just double your grain bill. Like, you know, it's not this simple math. It's not really straightforward. There's like a lot of, uh, there's a lot more to it. And so, um, for one, I, I'm not a person who enjoys dealing with math and numbers, <laughs> And so, uh, that part of it didn't excite me. Like, I don't want to have to sit here and figure out my percentage of wheat, malt, and et cetera, et cetera, to scale, you know, up batches. Like, that doesn't sound fun to me. But, um, yes, that was one thing that I heard over and over was, um, it's, it's difficult to make that jump from homebrew to, to pro in that when you scale, that's a, that's a really, um, uh, I lost my train of thought, but yeah, yeah, you're correct. Don't worry. It's a Monday. Trains of thoughts are overrated. <laughs> All right. Well, now let's talk the contract brand. Cause again, you had these collabs, you've been doing all this research. What finally drove you or what finally gave you the impetus to go contract brand? Was it just simple, simply a matter of money or. Well, for sure. Money. Um, was it played a major role? Um, mo mostly being, I, I didn't have any money. <laughs> so, uh, to back up real quick, just to give you a little background on, on my process going through it. Um, last year, I, one day I just decided, look, you know, where every, the world is shut down. 
I'm stuck at home, um, do, doing my part, not not going out. <laughs> um, and, and I just realized, like, oh, this would be a great opportunity for me um, to jump in if if I'm really serious about starting this business. And I was serious, so I said, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it since I have all this time on my hands. I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a shot. So I started selling off like DJ gear that I have, um, mics and speakers and DJ and, you know, turntables and records and just all this random gear that I've, that I had in my, uh, garage. Cause part of what I also do is, uh, I'm, I'm a freelance DJ. So like I'll do, uh, corporate events, weddings, birthdays, things like that. Well, all the, all the, the bookings that I had, the, the pandemic shut all that down. So I was just, you know, I had no income. My, my gear was just sitting there. So I just thought that was a great opportunity. Let, let me get rid of this equipment and use that as kind of seed money. So that's what I did. Raise a few grand. Um, and then ultimately did the, uh, uh, crowdsourcing via Indiegogo, uh, late, a little later. Um, but I just realized, you know, I could, I could get this operation off the ground between, you know, that's 10 and 20 grand versus trying to open up a physical brewery that's going to take me a minimum of 500,000 just to get started. Then I have to lease a space, do the build out. That's another maybe two, two and a half, three years of, of planning and building and you know, getting all the, the permits okayed and all of that stuff underway and you're paying rent that whole time. So I was, I was just like, you know, building out a brewery right now seems like um, a really uh, difficult goal to to make happen for me in this moment. And I just felt like contract brewing was a little bit more feasible for me. Yeah. Um, I could get in and not risk like losing my my home and going bankrupt um so really it was for me it was low risk and it was uh in terms of money it was way more feasible to 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 jump in really well and you can build a name for yourself you can build your your recipe ideas you can build your brand you can there's all sorts of things that you can concentrate on around the beer business rather than just uh, look at my shiny mash tun <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Um, you know, and as you mentioned, there's other people from the homebrew club who have gone on to open up a, a brewery, and so I'm I'm sitting back, taking notes, asking questions, looking at what's happening to them and what they're what they're doing. And you know, my my friends have a brewery; they have to hire a staff, they, and then with that comes a whole bunch of other things you have to worry about. Um. With the contract brewing, it's literally me running the, the, the branding, doing my own sales, making my own deliveries. And, um, I don't have a staff. And, and that's because I'm, I'm, I'm really small right now. And of course I hope to grow. And then hopefully one day I can start to hire people and, and do more. But, um, you know, the way that I'm doing it now is again, most, most feasible for me at the moment. Well, and so with contract brewing, I think part of the reason why it always got a dirty name was at least like back in the in the mid nineties when I first started getting into craft beer. Good lord, I'm old. Um, <laughs> there were people who 
poo-pooed on contract burning because a lot of it was like, oh, here, look, I got a really funny logo and a funny name. Uh, go make me a beer. And that's all the people cared about, right? It was just a business yeah. thing. There was no love for the beer. But I mean, obviously, you have a lot of love for the beer. And now you also get to take advantage of sort of one of the dirty little secrets of the craft beer world, which is just how much excess capacity there is. Yeah, and, and especially now, um, given what the pandemic did to so many businesses, some breweries who weren't necessarily contract brewing, they now offer that service because they have to fill tanks. Um, so there is a lot of space there for new people to get in. But yeah, you're right. For a really long time, contract brewing, contract brewing was frowned upon. And I think, you know, people, people who are into craft beer, like serious about it, they, they want to know who's behind the product. Where does the product come from? Who brewed it? Is it, is it indie? Is it small or is it owned by this major, you know, big, big beer? Is it owned by big beer? And, and, and I think those things are still important. But I also feel like um, whoever is behind the brand, like you said, I, you know, I definitely care a, a, about the beer. I'm a home brewer, ultimately, who's gone into the uh, contract brewing world. So I'm not like this this kind of venture. You know, I, I don't come from like the, the tech world, and I just have all this money and I'm just looking, you know, to do something because I'm bored or whatever, uh, if that makes sense. Uh, so I think, you know, if you are contract brewing and you are somebody who cares about the beer, cares about your business practices, cares about who you partner with, uh, I think people are more receptive to that. And if your branding is, is, is on point, like you're not, you're not this, faceless fake company or brand rather uh i think people are going to be into whatever it is you're trying to sell exactly you're it's a very good point that you make about like so much of craft beer is built around the idea of hey i know the person who made my beer or the person who's selling it to me over the bar and i'm supporting them so it's really good that that you're focusing with that taking the time to build up the personality behind the beer and putting yourself out there, as you said, you know, you're out there driving kegs around. Like you, I think you just called your your car an Uber for kegs, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Um. And 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 kegs are really heavy. <laughs> Turns out, <laughs> kegs are really heavy. Yes. Watch your toes and your fingers if you're moving kegs. Um. um I was just going to add that. Yes. You know, as as you mentioned, going this route does definitely op- offer me that that space to tell my story to build my brand and to let people know like, Hey, I'm, I'm a real person. Um, I'm married with kids. I'm local. I don't have a lot of money. I'm doing this as best as I can. And I'm trying to grow this thing. Um, and I'm trying to do, you know, I'm trying to put out great product as well. And everybody that I work with, um, I take my time to choose the people that I'm working with. So it's not, you know, I'm not just doing this randomly. Uh, there's a lot of thought that goes into this. And of course, there, there has to be because, again, I'm not like there's not a lot of money mm-hmm. be, uh, to start with. So when you don't have a lot of money, you, know, you have to be you have to be a little bit smarter. Uh, uh, you have to be clever with where you spend your dollars. Um, so those are all things that I think about. 
and um, I think people who are following me and people who are are buying the beer uh, see that and and they're they're happy to support what I'm doing. Right, and so just to put out how how it works, because I think what the your first flagship beer, the uh, uh, Biddy, the uh, Biddy Biddy Melon, um, that one you did with in partnership with Equal Rock, right? Yes, they're they're brewing that. Um, you know, Eagle Rock is if if for those of you who know about the Los Angeles craft beer scene, they're one of the um, oldest breweries uh, to open post prohibition. Sorry, <laughs> and so uh, I think they've been around since two thousand nine. Um, we did a beer in twenty twenty to help raise funds for an organization called the Urban Peace Institute um, that works in underserved hoods throughout LA. And um, Eagle Rock and I did a blonde ale in 2020 called Love Fights Back. And it was a uh, mango guava blonde ale, raising funds for this nonprofit. And going through that process with them um, was really fun. And it was just, they're so easy to work with. They're, they're great people. The, the business is solid. They know what they're doing in the brew house. So the, the beer they produce on their own is just really great. So I was already a big fan of what they were doing. And then, um, you know, just spending time talking with Jeremy and Ting um, and having them share like stories and n- just, you know, uh, giving me tips and, uh, it was really great. And, and I was like, wow, if there's an opportunity for me to continue working with them in some, some shape or form, I would love to do that. So when it came time for me to, to choose or to try and find a place to contract brew, they were like high up on my list. And, um, I pitched them the idea. We, we had a meeting. We sat down and we talked, you know, they, they said, okay, well, if you're, if you're serious about this, this is what we can offer you. And this is what you're going to be looking at in terms of costs. And, 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 you know, I just felt really comfortable with Eagle Rock. So that's how that happened. And, um, I'm really happy with what we are doing so far where, uh, they actually were on the second batch now. So the second batch is in the tanks. Uh, we've, we've scaled up actually, which is really exciting. Um, and you know, working with them, I have nothing to like, I just came to them. I was like, Hey, I need this beer. This is the recipe. How does it look? And they're like, recipe looks cool. We're going to scale it up and then they do it and I don't have to worry about it. And, and that's, uh, it's been great so far. Right. And that's kind of one of the upsides. You get to lean in on their experience. And like you said, Hey, I'm doing this right. Right. <laughs> so you, exactly, you to, yeah. You get to lean in on their experience. You get to take advantage of their their equipment. Uh, you don't have to worry about you know all that capital expenditure and all the time and you know heartache in order to actually get the brewery up and running. There's the downside that you don't get the easy revenue of say beer across the taproom bar, but right. you're out there hustling anyway, getting getting the beer into liquor stores and bars around the LA area. So. Yeah, you're already you're already working the system because if I understand correctly, I mean normally how it works is like okay, hey, look, I'm going to brew a batch of beer for you. The fee for the the batch of the beer based on the ingredients and the labor and the time and all that sort of fun stuff is going to be X number of dollars, right? 
and then you pay them. And at the end of the day, you get to take the beer away because you literally have to become like a distributor, right? Yes, literally. So yeah. I am a beer wholesaler. Right. And that's why you can you can take the beer out of the brewery at that cost and then be able to turn around and sell it. Yes. Let's actually talk the the, the Bitty Bitty Blonde because I had I had some of it when I was at Igor Rock the last time. And I'll tell you what, Jeremy was really proud of it. And so that was that was really cool to see. He was like, No, you gotta try this. This is great. Um because it's a fairly straightforward, simple beer, but with a really nice uh, bit of hop flavor to it, and uses one of the most confounding hops that I've never had any great success with, which is that <laughs> Mandarina Bavaria. Right. You know, um, my my thought process behind this beer, I mean, blonde is very straight up, right? It's just like if if you're drinking a blonde and you already know what a blonde is, then pretty much most blondes are pretty close to the next. Like there's not, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is like a blonde is a blonde. Like right. <laughs> If you know it, you, you pretty much know what to expect. Um, so my thought process behind this was I, I like the blonde because for, you know, if you go into a, a tap room and you're new to quote unquote craft beer, people generally try a blonde first and then off they go, right? They'll go, they'll move on up to like a, a pale or something much later. So I, I really like that idea of let me use this blonde as kind of my, my gateway beer. Um, and the idea is I wasn't looking to produce something for the hardcore craft beer fan. Like this wasn't going to be a beer that you were going to stand in line for two hours waiting for the drop. This is something that if you are into craft beer, you can respect and be like, okay, yeah, you guys made a nice beer. Cool. And if you're somebody who's already drinking more of the uh, macro beers that are out there and you're not really deep into craft, like you don't really venture too far into craft beer, you're not hanging out at small breweries, this could be a beer that you would reach for, try it and be like, oh, I like this. This is cool. So it was really more of like a middle of the road, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it came down to choosing the hops, the uh, that hop, the reason why I used that was because I've used it a, a bunch with my homebrew batches. I've used it in um, Saisons. I've used it in Blondes. I've used it in IPAs. Um, you know, it was just something that I, I, I tried multiple times. So I kind of knew like, uh, I, I like that hop. I think it'll work. And I ran it by Jeremy and he was like, uh, well, the only way to know if it works is to do it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we did it, uh, sing, single hopped and, you know, I was like, well, I don't, I don't want to dry hop uh-huh. with this, you know, we'll, we'll just, we'll just go with something simple, something straightforward and, um, see what happens and um yeah I'm, I'm i'm really happy with the way it turned out and and my other note to to jeremy and eagle rock was yes this is a blonde which typically is already kind of light for 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 a beer um but let's try and get this even a little lighter than you would normally do when you brew a blonde so i was i was really trying to make this be sort of lager like mm-hmm. and so yeah that that's what I was thinking when we were going into this beer. Well, and the thing I noted when I drank it was, I mean, it was crisp. It was clear. It had a very simple profile, but it wasn't boring, right? 
Well, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Well, because I mean, I mean, how many, I mean, how many Blondales have you had out there that are just kind of insipid? Are yeah. Kind of like, well, that's that's what I was trying to say earlier. It's like, for most people, it's not like an exciting style. Like, um, and uh, yeah, I definitely was. Let, let's let's do this style, but let's not have it be boring if we can. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and at the level that you have the Mandarina Bavaria in there, what I also thought was rather pleasant about it was it had that that sparkling citrus character to it, um, but almost to the point where it kind of felt like there was a slice of fruit in the beer, right? Nice, yes. And but not 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 in any overpowering way, not in like a a blue moon sort of way. But it was just kind of like, ooh, hey, you know, there's like this nice little, you know, lemon orange citron type thing going on in there, yeah. and so it was really kind of, really kind of pleasant, and, and I think it's actually what gave the beer that little extra spark of life that a blonde can need sometimes. Hey, well, I'm I'm thrilled that you were able to pull that out because um, those are things that we definitely talked about. So, thank you, thank you for trying it. Hey, I'm I'm me. I, I will I will give anybody's beer a go, just to see you know just to see what it's like. Now, so you got the beer. You're just you're distributing around L.A., but this is only phase one, right? This is there's a there's a grander plan in place. Yes, definitely. Um, as I mentioned, uh, for a long time I've been thinking about a brew pub, which is why the name is Norwalk Brew House. It, it's funny because people are like Norwalk Brew House, like. Why would you name your brand that? Like you don't even have a physical location. And I'm like the reason why I have that name was because I didn't go into this thinking I was going to contract brew. I actually didn't even know about contract brewing uh, when I started having these ideas and thoughts about one day opening up a physical brew pub. Um, so I gave it the name Norwalk Brew House because I live in Norwalk and I noticed several years ago that I was not, there was nowhere locally where I could go get really nice craft beer, uh, nowhere locally where I could like see live music. Like there was a huge void in, in this city. And so I thought, Hey, maybe I can fill that void. At the time I was still working in music, working with local, um, bands and singers and, and there was nowhere to book these artists. So I thought, Hey, why don't I create a, a, a venue, a, a brew pub, you know, Brew some beer, have some live music. Yeah, that sounds like fun. So that's where the name Norwalk Brew House came from. Uh, now there's actually the city is working on several areas that they're going to um, they're going to be building new businesses or, or uh, re- retail spaces. Mm-hmm. And part of this plan that they have in place, um, they want to bring in kind of like night nightlife businesses. So like bars and, and breweries, probably not many breweries, but maybe one or two. So, um, I, I think it's going to work out and, uh, kind of, kind of great actually. Like right now I've got the beer out, self distro, building the brand, building my presence locally. And I think in the next maybe three to four years, there's going to be all this de- development in the city. I'll, I'll be able to slide right in, find a space and open up. So yeah. that's that's the grand kind of plan there. See, and that's good. And I've I've been noticing this a lot of. So for people who aren't uh, SoCal savvy, right? You know, I mean, everybody's going to think, oh, Los Angeles, and like it's this giant monolith. And yes, the city of Los Angeles 
is freaking huge. Uh, <laughs> but it's surrounded on uh, all around by all these very small little towns. Like, man, Whittier is a good example of that. Um, right. And what I've noticed is that a lot of a lot of these little towns, like um, what uh, Angry Horse is in Montebello, right? Yep. Uh, like Montebello, this little another little sleepy town on the outskirts of L.A. has been working very aggressively with them to again bring in a brewery, step up the nightlife, give people a reason to go walking in the in the neighborhood, right? Um, right. Draw people in, and so it's very interesting to me to see like all these sort of satellite towns on the on the outskirts of Los Angeles, you know, kind of going, hey, you know, uh, that brewing thing actually seems to be a good idea. Let's let's do that. And yeah, you know, I'm sure there will be some uh, poets in Whittier who will also be glad to have a, a brew house. <laughs> yeah, you know, I've been I've been saying this for for years now. Like, it's only a matter of time before Norwalk and the cities that are surrounding uh, catch on or catch up. Because we're we're not too far from Long Beach. You look at Long Beach; they have a really nice craft beer scene. They have breweries, brew pubs. Like, it's it's thriving. And then if you head further east. Orange County, I mean, there's a lot of breweries in Orange County. And then if you go west of us, about 25, 30 minutes, if there's no traffic, you've got your uh, arts district, which is now kind of booming, right? There's like a handful of breweries there, and and that's also thriving. And so where I'm at, Norwalk is kind of in the middle of, of, of all these places. And then we have, like next to us, we have See, Downey, Cerritos, Artesia, and these are all, like you mentioned, little sleepy kind of smaller neighborhoods, cities, and there's no craft beer scene. Uh Um, But I will say we do have a brewery that's opening in Norwalk. They actually beat me to it, uh, La Hara Brewing Company, which is uh, Derek Johnstone, who's a member of the Long Beach Homebrewers Homebrew Club, who's also a, a good friend of mine. We're really excited for them. They're really close to opening their doors. Um, but Derek was actually looking at Artesia when they were uh, leasing their their uh, space for their brewery. And something happened where, I guess, they were about to lease a, a, a location. It didn't work out. So they were on the hunt and they ended up in Norwalk. Mm-hmm. And it just so happens they knew somebody who had a giant warehouse that was just sitting there. They approached the city. It happened. They got in. And um, so I was right. I was like, it's only a matter of time <laughs> before somebody opens up a brewery either in Norwalk or adjacent to Norwalk. And then we're going to see it happen over and over again, like we do in other cities. And I was going to say, I think I just kind of thinking in my head, the closest one to Norwalk would have been what, like syncopated over over there in Lakewood? I mean, not far uh, in LA, not far in LA terms, but still far enough. Yeah, there's syncopated. Uh, there's uh, liberation and am- ambitious in Long Beach, which which is not too far from me. Um, yeah, that's all up in the Bixby Knolls area, I think. Yes, Bixby Knolls. But again, there's not like yeah, n- nothing else comes to mind in, in terms of like something that's close. Right. So. And folks who've been listening to me talk on the on the podcast, you know that the Falcons have been doing these happy hours, right? Um, still going, oddly. And it's really interesting to me because, you know, to the point that you make, I'm looking at like the the map of all these places that we've that we've done, and you know, there's a lot of stuff all around the city. But man, the second you get between the ten 
the 605 and like the 91, there's nothing. Yeah, and I'm right by the 91. Um, yeah, there's nothing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. it's like, uh, and, and it's funny because I mean, we've been bouncing around the city, but yeah, there's, it's, it's a dead zone in a, in a lot of ways. So it's, it's good to see that, you know, those pockets, to your point, you can see it and go right here. Let's go do this. Um, and so you said it'll probably be a couple of years. I'm assuming you're going to have more beers coming out eventually, like once you get uh, bitty bitty uh, established, right? Yep. Yep. Um, I, I, I do have a plan for the rest of the year. Um, and of course, you know, we, we plan and doesn't always, things don't always go according to plan, but, um, we've got the second batch already in the tanks and the next beer I'm working on is a Pilsner. That's, that's the plan. So I'm, I'm hoping to do that and we'll, we'll see how it goes. But yeah, there's, um, so beady, beady, blonde, blonde, followed by a Pilsner. And I kind of wanted to follow that up with a Belgian style wit beer. And these are all styles that I just in, enjoy drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm kind well, they're, of they're all ahead. kind of they're all kind of suited towards uh, also that hot Southern California uh, summer. Yeah, definitely. Yes, I know. You, right now, you're you're operating as a distributor. You're working your way up to get the the actual brew house eventually. And in the meanwhile, because you're a distributor, you can only, you you can actually go distribute other people's beers too. Yep, I can. And um, so. Real quick, it, I, I am a distributor, so I have Norwalk Brewhouse, the brand, and then I have the the wholesale side, the, the right. distribution side, which is called SCC Distribution Network, which is actually myself and Al, Alfredo Rocha, who's another uh, SoCal Cervecero member. He has his own brand called Los Barbones Brewing, and he actually just released a Belgian-style wit beer called Botas Blancas, and he too is contract brewing. And his beer is being contract brewed at Pacific Plate. And so we're basically doing the same thing, mm-hmm. um, but we partnered up on the distribution side. And um, it's so far it's been going great. Um, we, we both have had to scale up by our second batches, which is I think is a good sign. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. One more uh, so yeah, so basically like we, we each have our own brand and where we each handle our own sales and kind of the, the, whatever we choose to do with our brand, that's, that's up to us. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the distribution side, we, we, we kind of ha- help each other out and our plan is to build out a brand portfolio. So it's like we have two businesses, right? Like, Mm-hmm. One half of the business is the contract brewing stuff, and the other half is the actual distribution. So we have that. We with, with the distribution, yeah, as you mentioned, we can distribute other breweries, and we want to do that. Um, and with that comes, you know, more more planning and more work. Uh, we haven't signed anybody yet, but there are a few uh, breweries that we're interested in. We're somebody that we're talking to. Um. But on that side, we're really just kind of taking our time because, again, it's all new to us and Mm -hmm. there's a lot to learn. And when you are an actual distributor, there's still like there's still a lot of upfront costs that you need to have in place or, you know, upfront costs that you need to take care of to get your to grow your business. So, but yeah, there's and there's a lot of things that people don't think about, like, you know, in terms of like the, the legal paperwork. 
you know, the inspections that have to happen, like, mm-hmm. you know, designated zones where things can and can't be. <laughs> yeah, there, there's all that for sure. There's like, yes, there's, there's contracts and then there's like, if you pick up a, a brewery, they're going to have to designate to you certain rights for certain areas because a, a, a brewery can work with multiple distributors for different areas. Um, like, you know, take California, for example, it, you, you can cut it up into multiple sections and, uh, and one brewery will have Southern California, another brewery central and another Northern, if you will. Um, so there's, yeah, there's that aspect to it. Also with us, like, because we're so small, when we went to find a warehouse space, uh, we're actually subleasing some space right now and we're pretty much maxed out. So we're already maxing out our space on just our two brands, just our beer. So we can't really even go out and sign other breweries to distribute yet because we, we don't have the space. So, so we're already, I mean, you know, that's kind of like a, like a good pr- problem to have because maxing out the space means that we're, we're, we're utilizing the space because we have more product that needs to go out. But now we have to find a bigger space, which probably translates to more money, <laughs> uh, you know, more rent. Uh, but again, that's, that's not a bad thing. Uh, means that we're growing slowly. So, um, definitely lots to think about. Um, and, but yeah, I, the, the plan is for us to, to definitely distribute other breweries and, um, preferably we would like to work with other breweries that have come out of the SoCal Cerveceros. Well, and as we talked about in the beginning, that looks like that's going to be a, a well, a pretty jumping list. Yes. There's, um, there's two. So one brewery just opened up recently, uh, La Bodega in Whittier. And then I think like next week, there's another member who's up in Salinas, California. Uh, they're called, uh, Brew, Brewing Crew Ale House. Uh, Mar- Marlene Garcia is the person behind that brewery. She's been trying to get this brewery open for the past three years, and it's finally here. And um, yeah, so so excited for her, so very proud of her, just to see all the hard work that she has put in. Again, you know, being that this kind of business, the business of opening and running a brewery, is, is so expensive. Uh, she ran into a lot of roadblocks there, having to raise money, figure it out. And she's, she did it though. She's here. Like the, the brewery's ready. They're about to open their doors in a week. So those are like the, the two newest breweries that have opened. Yeah. I think we're, I don't know, like there's at least five, I want to say that, that have opened. And then you have us that are doing the contract thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's sorry. It's exciting to see um, there's like another 20 people that are in planning. <laughs> I don't know how far they are in their planning, but you know, home brewers, everybody wants to own, open up a brewery, uh, but there's not, definitely... Not me. <laughs> I'm, per- I'm perfectly fine staying a home brewer. <laughs> there's definitely a, a handful that are in planning looking to, uh, you know, chase that dream down. Well, there you go. Well, and I think just to just to kind of wrap it up, I think the the path that you're taking, and the fact that you are you know contract brewing, like we said, gives you the ability to open with a smaller risk and a smaller capital expense. Um, 
it's a good way for people to start thinking about this as a business if they want to get into it and then eventually build into like the, yes, I have my own tap room. Aren't I fancy? Yeah. You know, um, yeah, I, I tell members this all the time. Like if, if you, if you have an idea of a product, you know, beer specifically that you want to bring to market contract brew, you know, find, find a few grand contract brew, get it out and see how it goes. And, you know, because home, home brewers, you know, it's funny, like, it, when, when, when I was younger, I, I used to play music, right? I was playing guitar, playing drums. And when you're young and you're playing music, you're like, I'm going to be a rock star. I'm going to get out there. I'm a tour. And I actually was a touring musician. It, it went from being this fun hobby thing to, to this is my job. I'm on the road. And you know, the, the road life is hard. It's lonely. You eat bad. You don't sleep well. Um, so, it's not for everybody. So at, when you're homebrewing, it's fun and there's no, you know, you can do whatever you want. You don't have to answer to anybody. You don't have to pay anybody. You don't have any overhead other than your recipe for the most part. But when you go commercial, it's a whole different thing. It's, it's not, it, it might not be as fun for you as it is homebrewing, having to actually sell beer deal with retailers and beer buyers and drive all around the city, especially with these gas prices right now. It's crazy. So, so what I'm saying is like, it's not for everybody. So if you, if you think you might want to go into business selling beer, contract brew, try that first and see how you feel about it. Cause you might do it and then be like, you know, this is not for me. This is not what I envisioned. This is not glamorous at all. This is not the, the rock star life I thought I was going to be living. Um, so yeah, contract brewing is a, a nice feasible way to figure it out at first. There you go. Get your feet wet, get your beer idea out there, see if there's a market for your beer, and then figure out just exactly what it is that you uh, like about the beer business, if anything. <laughs> yep, yep, exactly. All right, well... Hey, thank you so much for taking some time to talk with me. But before I let you go, tell people where they can where they can find out details about where to find your beer. Sure. So you can visit us online at norwalkbrewhouse.com. We have a beer finder on there where you can type in your uh, area code. Yeah, area code. Area code or zip code? Zip code. Zip code. <laughs> we have a beer finder on the website. And you can find the nearest retailer closest to you. Uh, we're mostly in parts of LA County and some retailers in Orange County. Again, it's just me making these deliveries. So I'm doing my best to get around Southern California. So check us out online, uh, www.norwalkbrewhouse.com, on Instagram, Norwalk Brewhouse, uh, on Twitter, Norwalk Brewhouse, Facebook, Norwalk Brewhouse. There you go. Go go find some beer. Like I said the uh, bitty bitty blonde when I had it was I it says exactly what it is on the tin, does exactly what it says on the tin and doesn't bore you while you're drinking it, <laughs> which for a blonde is fantastic. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you for that. All right. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Uh this was fun. I enjoyed yeah. it. Man, there's some real lessons to be learned there and uh, if any of you guys out there are thinking about starting a brewery, I hope you pay attention to what uh, Ray Ricky had to say. 
Yeah, I mean, the good thing about what he's doing is it is a relatively low-risk and low-cost way of getting into the business. Uh, it definitely takes a lot of hustle. But, look, if you're going to own a brewery, guess what? It's going to take a lot of hustle. So this is a good way to get your feet wet, get into the business, and also, very importantly, get your name known to people who can actually come help make your dream a reality. Really, you got to give the guy a lot of credit because very few people would actually go that route, and it seems to be working for him. Yep, absolutely. And, by the way, that Bitty Bitty Blonde, very, very tasty. <laughs> yeah, man. It sounds like it. You were very complimentary about it. Yeah, it was, and particularly for a blonde. Blondes are usually boring. Oh, man. I'm not going there. Yes, let's not. <laughs> let's not. Okay, we're going to take a break here, and when we come back, we're going to wrap this baby up and let you get on with your day. So please stick around. Mecca Grade Estate Malt is a craft malt house owned and operated by the Klon family on their beautiful Central Oregon high desert farm. Their eighth-generation Oregon farming family grows and malts all of their own specialty grain, creating malts that are rare, remarkable, and bursting with flavor. Malt is the foundation of your beer, so why settle? The best beers deserve MechaGrade. For more information, please visit MechaGrade.com. Welcome back, and you know what time it is. It's time for the wrap-up. And uh, Drew has a quick tip and a something other for you today. And when you said you know what time it is, my brain instantly went, it's time to get ill. But then again, that's showing my age. (laughs) My quick tip for the week is spares are your friends. That's right. Spares are your friends. Keep them close. Keep them available to you. Keep them in your mind. And the reason why I'm saying this is, as I talked about in the last segment, I've been doing a lot of brewing recently. And, of course, every time I do that, I tear apart the Grandfather Conicals that I use and clean out all the parts. And I noticed a couple of the the gaskets were kind of grungy, right? That happens over time. And so instead of trying to bother trying to resurrect a couple of gaskets, I went and I reached into my Grandfather bucket. Yes, I have a bucket that's just dedicated to Grandfather parts. And reached in and got grabbed a sack of spare gaskets and changed out all the gaskets in like 30 seconds. And so that way I could make sure that everything was clean and everything was ready to go for the next batch of beer. So remember, keep spares on hands, my friends. Hell, keep spares of your spares. Yeah, man, I I find that uh, that's a good philosophy for all kinds of things. Uh, you know, not just in the brewery, but in life and around the house, too. But uh, my my take on it, too, is that I have not broken a hydrometer since I had a spare one. So <laughs> isn't that amazing how that works? Yeah, exactly. If if you only had one, then you'd be a klutz. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, you know, get yourself a spare hydrometer, and you'll never have to worry about breaking one. There we go. Okay, and of course, life is not just all about beer. Life is sometimes about something other. And in this particular case, my something other is something I'd talked about before, Time Team. Remember when I discovered Time Team, like, what, last year, two years ago? 
devoured all those episodes and went away. Well, Time Team is back. And it's free. So if you go to the Time Team YouTube channel, they actually, through crowdfunding, and yes, I donated some of my own money for this, they did two archaeological digs last year. One on a Fugu in Cornwall, and one on a Roman villa somewhere in Oxfordshire, I believe. And they uh, did the traditional time team thing, you know. Hey, everybody, let's go make a play. Three days, you know, and got it, got everybody together and did everything. Now it's not the same old crew. There are a lot of the old faces are back, but no Mick for obvious reasons. Phil is off digging the Battle of Waterloo, and uh, Sir Tony is retired because now he's a sir. Um, but these two episodes are available online on YouTube for free. Each of the episodes is three 30 minute segments. So each day gets its own 30 minute, uh, piece, which is longer than the original show. So you can go sit back and have, you know, what is that? Three hours of uh, wonderful time teamness all for yourself again and kind of relive the old days. So time team is back and yes, they're going to do more episodes. Oh yeah, man. Uh, I love that show. I've been going through the first 10 seasons, so I haven't gotten to the latest stuff yet. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a good a good soothing way to spend the time. Yeah, exactly. That's the way I use it, you know, when I just can't take any more slam, bang, explosions, chases, violence, all that kind of stuff. Put on some time team and fall asleep. Yeah, and then, of course, you can always balance it out with Moon Knight. So there we go. All right, let's get out of here. All right. Another episode has come to a conclusion, so take that as you will. Thank you all for listening to Experimental Brewing. You can catch all of our latest adventures and writings by going to our website, experimentalbrew.com. Don't forget that you can follow us on Twitter, where we're at EXP Brewing. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're all over the place. Drew hangs out on the Homebrewing subreddit and the Slack Homebrewing channel. You can find me on the AHA discussion forum, on the uh, beer garden at the brew house, uh, a lot of times on Facebook, I'm just there. Go out and look. <laughs> if you want to ask us a question or suggest topics, uh, recipes, experiments, or even just rant and rave, you can email us at podcast at experimentalbrew.com. If you want to get a hold of each one of us individually, I'm Denny at experimentalbrew.com, and he's Drew at experimentalbrew.com. And you can leave us a voicemail or a text at 626-765-1AL. That's 626-765-1253. So until next time, remember to always brew experimentally. Or brew wacky. And we'll see you on the next episode of Experimental Brewing. (laughs) 